0: couple other quick things to point out that I, I find interesting that have a kind of economic angle. And one of them is the, the story of the Wild West. Now we all, we all know about the Wild West because we, we see Hollywood movies and we've read books about it, that in the Wild West everybody's got a gun and so therefore everybody's shooting. That, that seems to be the logic. If you've got a gun, well naturally you're just going to start firing it. <laughs> and it seems like the truth though, in recent years scholars have uncovered that our understanding of the Wild West is about 180 degrees wrong. And this is one of the 33 questions about American history you're not supposed to ask in my book, 33 Questions, is how wild was the Wild West? And their historians are actually saying the Wild West actually turns out to have been a great big bore, believe it or not, that when you actually look at it, it was actually a big bore. Um, Larry Schweiker from the University of Dayton uh, has estimated that fewer than a dozen bank robberies occurred in the entire frontier west from 1859 to 1900. So this means that there are more bank robberies in modern day Dayton, Ohio, where Larry Schweiker teaches in a year, in a single year, than there were in the entire Old West period. Now Buffalo Bill Cody went around telling people that he had been wounded in battles with the Indians 137 times. Wow, wow, there's a lot of violence going on out there. And then finally, under pressure, he said, well, it wasn't really 137. It was one time, but it was really bad that one time. <laughs> it's really bad. But it was that this sells dime novels better if you say you were wounded 137 times. So actually, the consensus, evolving consensus, seems to be that the Wild West was not really quite so wild. In fact, there is a book called The Not So Wild Wild West that came out a few years ago from Stanford University Press. Uh, elaborating on this and, and uh, displaying some of this uh, important scholarship. Well, what's interesting about it is here's a place where you would think this is a disaster waiting to happen. People are rushing out there, uh, by and large, because they want to get gold. It's been announced that there are gold discoveries there. People are rushing out there. Americans are going out there of all races. There are people from Europe going to California. There are people from China going to California to get gold. No one intends to make his home there. People are going to get their gold and get out. Now, the U.S. hadn't even set up a territorial government in California at that time. So you think, okay, so we've got uh, potential racial animosity. You've got greed. You've got the fact that nobody intends to stay there, so there's no there's going to be any longevity. No, none of these people know each other, so there's no pre-existing community camaraderie to build on. This is a freaking disaster waiting to happen. And yet, through basically free market institutions, people voluntarily established organizations that defined and defended property rights, that adjudicated disputes. And historians looking back on this can't really believe this, that yet in the in the absence of an overarching, coercive institution, somehow people made this thing work. And, and, it, and it, it is quite an interesting story. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo
1: Where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is
2: heard,
3: a discouraging word, and the
1: skies are not cloudy all day.
3: Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is your host, Michael Goldstein, aka Bitstein, here with Pierre Rochard. How are you doing, Pierre? Doing very well. How are you? Very good. And we have a special guest, um, rather unknown uh, in the Bitcoin community, uh, but he's, uh, he's good people from here in Austin.
2: Uh, we have Will Cole. How are you doing, Will? Howdy. Doing well. So, Will, are you from Austin or are you from Wyoming? I am born and
1: raised in Austin, Texas, uh, but now I split my time between Austin and uh, Wheatland, Wyoming. Enjoying the ranch life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, my wife is from Wyoming, so uh, we what everyone thinks Texas is who's not from Texas, that's what Wyoming actually is. That's what I've learned. Riding your yeah. horse to school. Yeah, exactly. All that type of stuff. Yeah.
3: You know, I, I occasionally see someone riding a horse downtown here in Austin.
1: Does still happen.
2: Yeah, those are police officers, and they're there <laughs> to beat you down. What, are they under, undercover? <laughs> you know, they, they talk about the uh, jackboot, uh, on your face. But there's also the horse hoof, which has historically been on the face of many oppressed people.
1: Well, regardless of that,
2: there are no police officers riding horses everywhere, but, you know, regular people in Wyoming. Yeah. So are there police officers in Wyoming? I, I'd imagine that it's still part of the Wild West. And so it's pretty much everyone fends for themselves. Just just on the highways. Yeah. yeah. Highway <laughs> robbers, as, as Murray Rothbard would call them. Yes,
1: Exactly. No, but it's a great place. Yeah, and it's a two great places to split your time. I, well,
3: I've I've been there now, um, and yes, I can I can attest to all of that. Uh, Wyoming is fantastic and uh, very much uh, full of the spirit of Texas.
2: It doesn't have as good uh, crypto legislation as Texas does, though. Or sorry, uh, we're going to the learn other way. Otherwise, right? tonight, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah uh the the texas people have a lot of ground to make up uh wyoming's putting uh not just texas but uh you know uh, f- you know 48 other states to shame as well so uh, <laughs> what sure texas
2: has for it going is the uh gold depository right yes, yes. the texas bullion depository they, that's serious uh, stuff gold silver they even have like palladium and stuff like that but no bitcoin it's going on. Eventually, they'll start like a multi-sig uh, service. Maybe Unchained will partner with them, and then you'll have yeah. the... Uh, yeah. The Governor test.
3: Abbott, I know you're listening. Um, we can make this happen. <laughs> so, Will, uh, you know, like I said, you are a little kind of yeah, a little under the radar uh, in the Bitcoin world. Uh, could you tell everyone just uh, a little bit about how you got into Bitcoin?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, not very well known. I've been uh, I've been not working actively in Bitcoin, but uh, the way I got into it was uh, it's hard to it's hard to get started without mentioning my brother uh, Napoleon. So I would say it was around April 2011 uh, that that's the first time I can find any evidence of my brother and I speaking about Bitcoin um, intelligently, at least. And really, when it comes down to how I got into it, um, it it's my brother. Uh, he is a man of many talents. And one of those talents is finding about secrets of the world. And Bitcoin was one of the many secrets of the world that he shared with me uh, there in the spring of 2011. And to be perfectly honest, it took me a while to catch on. But uh, I I consider myself fairly well primed to sort of get Bitcoin. Um, At the time, we were living on Gold Street in Manhattan, we had uh, an apartment that overlooked the Federal Reserve. I was staring at it every day for years, you know, from 2007 to 2011, actually, before we moved out. And I'd been thinking a lot about uh, QE and the financial crisis. I had recently sort of made the jump over into Austrian economics and gold. And by the time I hear about Bitcoin, you know, several years after its inception, uh I also had an economics background in college and a semi-technical background as well as a programmer when I was younger. It uh, it just made a lot of sense. Um, there, were, you know, all the stars were kind of aligned for someone like me to get it, even though it wasn't really well known at the time. Uh, there were some other influences in those early days, but uh, really, uh, Napoleon's where, it, where where most of it came from. So you've just kind of been in there ever since. Yeah, yeah. It was going to, you know, early versions of the Bitdev uh meetup in New York, uh as well as meeting a lot of people that uh once my brother had left uh New York and come to Austin, there was a whole crowd of oddballs in Austin of which you two were uh, actually part of <laughs> that that group of people. And uh Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the Ron Paul and Gary Johnson groups at the the time in 2011 and 2012 were um, really open to Bitcoin. They were hosting their own, I think, gosh, even like guys like Nick Spanos and them. Uh, uh, It was was a different crowd than uh, maybe I'm I'm working with right now, but uh, it was pretty cool in New York back then. There were a lot of people pissed off. There were a lot of people that on the economic side... Really understood it. There were a lot of liberty-minded people from the Ron Paul and Gary Johnson camps that you know a lot of stars were aligning there at that time. Nice. So now, I mean,
3: you've you've found your way into uh, sort of uh, the political realm up in Wyoming. I want to make sure I get it correct. It's the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force.
1: That's right. Yeah, the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force. It's been going on for this is really its second full year. It just ended a couple weeks ago in Laramie and. Essentially, what the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force is, um, you know, to give credit where credit's due, it's really the brainchild of a local legislator named uh, Tyler Lindholm. It's an awesome guy uh, who uh, three years ago had the idea that he wanted to push through some uh, legislation, especially around like money transmission and a few other things that uh, would uh, help the people in Wyoming um, have access to Bitcoin because... Uh, and other cryptocurrencies. And the issue was at the time was Wyoming and I think three other states had pretty onerous laws around their money transmission that essentially meant that all on-ramp, off-ramp products, all exchanges had to shut down because they had these capital requirements that were required of certain money transmitters that essentially, if you were holding, if you were selling someone a Bitcoin at $5,000 or, you know, at the time, a few hundred dollars, you would have to have that much money backing it up available um, in in U.S. dollars. So, of course, the exchanges all shut down in Wyoming. I believe that was in early 2015 that the exchanges shut down. So uh, Tyler had, uh, and this is, you know, him telling me this. I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate, but he had tried to get some legislation passed in Wyoming that would loosen up these rules and get Wyoming caught up with the rest of the states. Um, you know, if you were a Wyoming person and you were connected to a Wyoming bank account, you literally couldn't buy during these years. And um, those uh, bills were really hard to get through. In fact, he was failing. And so he and a few other legislators got this blockchain task force set up, uh, along with the help of uh, Caitlin Long, uh, who's a, a, not a legislator, but a concerned citizen Wyoming native, and uh, they're really sort of the brain trust that got this task force set up, um, I believe, in early 2018 or maybe late 2017.
3: That's right. And I mean, th- there's been a lot of progress uh, around that. Like, uh, if oh. I remember correctly, you know, Wyoming Wyoming citizens are no longer uh, barred from <laughs> being capable of uh, purchasing Bitcoin.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's gone way further than that. It went from sort of the dark ages in Wyoming to... Um, to really leading the way and having lots of other jurisdictions copy. So if I can give a little bit more background here. So the way it's set up is really interesting. Um, I've never been involved before this in anything government or quasi governmental. Uh, and I actually came into it uh, pretty skeptical uh, to be honest. So the way they have it set up is I, th- I believe there's six legislators on the uh, task force along with the, um, three citizens uh that get to advise them and and vote on certain things the issue that i had early on was i was i kept on hearing about this through friends of mine in wyoming but i didn't really i wasn't really following you know law for law what they were doing and i had seen one come across my desk that uh someone had uh in in the secretary of state's office i believe had asked me what are we supposed to do with this bill that just passed um can you tell us how we can comply with it? So actually Jimmy song and I looked at that and wrote back a letter to them saying, uh, you can't, it's impossible to comply with this law. And, uh, that did two things. One is it got the secretary of state's office interested in our, you know, or or my expertise on this. It also kind of ticked off Tyler and uh, some of the other guys saying that this law was passed and uh, it wouldn't work. So when I got invited to join, uh, I was coming in kind of skeptical, having seen really just barely any of the work that they had done. And I was uh, quickly, very, very quickly uh, persuaded that what they were doing was exceptional and that I was uh, just sort of a know-nothing cynic before. Uh, and in fact, what uh, the vision that Tyler and Caitlin had for this group was profound and uh, really groundbreaking when it comes to legislation um, in the United States. And if you think of what they're doing, what they're actually trying to do is they're trying to attract economic development in Wyoming. Uh, so they want to pass laws that will make businesses want to move there and open up offices and transact there, um, which essentially means that they're trying to sell sovereignty. Right? Um, they're, they're, they are in competition with other jurisdictions to say this is the best place to open up shop if you're a Bitcoin company. That when I saw how that process worked, and really you know the way the process works is those legislature, those legislators, the citizens that are uh, uh, assigned to the uh, task force, we show up to a meeting, we have an agenda, we work behind the scenes on the agenda. We turn on the cameras, we open it up to the public. People can show up, it's announced months in advance, and mm-hmm. uh, people in the industry show up and tell us, what problems they're going through what's onerous about the jurisdiction that they're currently in what would make them want to move to wyoming uh, we have our own ideas of what we'd like to achieve as well but uh i was kind of blown away with how awesome that was and even after the first time i was still skeptical it's like oh there's no way any of this stuff is actually going to happen but they have a wonderful uh, uh uh legislative office that drafts the bills there was a uh, someone who now works with the banking commissioner his name is chris land is now the uh, legal counselor for the bank commissioner, but he was on the LSO staff at the time and he drafted what is now, you know, you know, all the bills that everyone else is copying. So the whole process of it was very new to me uh, and uh, and going in with a cynical idea of what they were doing and then coming out uh, just hugely impressed, especially with what uh, Tyler and uh, Caitlin had sort of. So
2: there's like a a fiat legal system, uh, this, uh, uniform commercial code or whatever you see, you hear the, uh, you hear the sovereign citizens complaining about it. They're not even wrong though. Like it is a fiat legal system that is just completely absurd and, and should be, uh, uh, removed like root and branch. Uh, and all we need is common law. And, uh, that's always kind of been the, uh, the the legal tradition in in this country and in the uk i guess you know going back quite a while but it, it seems like um when i read that the ucc people were upset and really really upset about the legislation that was going through in wyoming i knew they were doing something right uh because otherwise if the yeah. ucc endorsed it i'd be like all right more fiat legislation great but no
1: well, you know, we, we play kind of both, both sides of that fence, right? Is that, yeah, sometimes it's fun to go poke the bear. And uh, and uh, we don't care if we take people off in certain circumstances. In other circumstances, you want to actually make a, you know, make a damn difference. And so you you talk to the people that are, I don't even know, it's some crazy commission um, that, that it, are the stewards of the UCC uh, process. Uh, or you need to deal with Finson or... Uh, you know, something like that. And you do want, or even other state regulatory bodies. You know, the banking commissioner has been a huge supporter of what's going on. So, yeah, you, you know, on some things, we are intentionally poking the bear and trying to tick people off. Uh, uh, and in some cases, we are trying to conform and make sure that the things that we pass are going because ultimately the goal is you know economic growth in wyoming right uh diversify the economy there as you know wyoming is a very very heavily energy dependent um uh, economy and while the economy's fine it's not broke or anything like that um the last 10 years have not been nice to fossil fuel economies in the united states uh coal mines are being shut down um you know You know, there could be fracking legislation that hurts some of that sort of thing. So a place like Wyoming that is dependent on that needs to look to the future. And so, you know, that's a long way of saying like, yes, we have pissed off people like the UCC in certain circumstances, but we're also, you know, keeping an eye on, you know, our ultimate, you know, duty here is to, um, Legislation that's going to help the state. Yeah,
2: I mean, if they if they are wise, uh, they will look at these laws and be like, "All right, now this is going to be the UCC model laws." Uh, Even though you know we didn't necessarily agree with everything in it, uh, we've got (laughs) to we've got to adapt to Bitcoin because it's going to be a lot harder to try to get Bitcoin to adapt to us.
1: Well, I think there's something to that. Uh, I, I will not claim uh, that we are the most influential people on the UCC by any means, but uh, they are aware of what we're doing. Some of it's making them mad. Some of it, they're adjusting to, and it really helps when we have several. You know, I mean, when I say several, lots. <laughs> uh, I do You know, six, seven, eight other states that are, you know, to some extent just copying and pasting the laws that we're doing and uh, and getting them push through uh it's actually i think that's both great and keeps us on our toes because we do want to win <laughs> we want we want the wyoming jurisdiction to be the most uh, uh amenable to bitcoin businesses to uh, so people move there and uh, do business there it's also got to be pretty cool to be the uh, torchbearer for uh creating more freedom in the united states Oh, I, I I don't take that lightly at all. It, it's super cool being able to do that, uh, and it's one of the reasons I've been so happy to team up with Tyler. Uh, Tyler's someone who takes that very seriously. That's a it's a little bit of an external motivation, but uh, it's certain
2: it's certainly a motivation. So, like this is possible because of federalism, right? And um, the the states have been described as laboratories of democracy, which uh, is a, a great statist metaphor. I like it. Uh, the problem is that there's a lot of people who are like, all right, there's too too much inconsistency between the states. We need a federal solution. So then if you want to be doing Bitcoin business in the United States, you don't have to go to 50 money transmission licensing processes. Instead, you just get Mm -hmm. a federal process. And so they're trying to federalize it. But that would kind of reduce the uh, experimentation like this that would be possible.
1: Yeah, there's kind of two things that I think about on the one is just kind of as an aside, even the liberal members of state legislators, uh, legislative groups are, you know, 10th Amendment advocates, right, because it gives them more power. Uh, But uh, the yeah, I mean, we think a lot about preemption, you know, federal preemption on a lot of the laws that uh, we are thinking about or, you know, pushing to be uh, passed. We. In most cases, don't want to trigger that. Uh, we don't want to give up any, you know, sovereignty on the part of Wyoming by passing something that the federal government thinks that they need to come in and say, nope, you can't do that. And in fact, you know, because you've, you know, bungled this so bad, you're going to have to follow our rules now. So we're always really aware of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall. Everyone on that task force and everyone who's involved uh, really does understand the the value of federalism, the value of the states competing. And at the very beginning, like I said, that's that's very much the way we see our job is that we are competing with other jurisdictions, not just other states, but other nations uh, who are competing for the talent and the businesses that would uh, build the next, you know, the, the next you know, whatever, giant companies. Um, but also for, uh, there's a lot of legislation that we passed that has individual users in mind. So not businesses, but um, but individuals. We, we worked on something, this two things this session uh, that point to that. One was a rule around uh, what a judge is able to compel you uh, to do in, a, uh, in regards to your private keys. Basically, uh, by saying that in this jurisdiction, a judge cannot uh, force you to divulge a private key, um, which is important, not because we want, you know, deadbeat, you know, husbands getting out of like divorce settlements that would pay for, you know, children or something like that. They can still, you know, have claim to certain assets behind a private key, but uh, recognizing, you know, that a private key could be storing multiple assets, things that are not uh, subject to a um, to a court order that courts might not know how to handle the private keys, uh, things like that. So it's not all just about businesses and the economic growth. We've found lots of ways to bring in the sort of individual who would want to be protected in this specific jurisdiction, move to Wyoming, have an LLC set up in Wyoming. Is is the
2: law that, um, you don't have to give them your private key, but if they give you a transaction, you have to sign it with your private key or not even that—that that, like they can't force you to so, do anything with your private key.
1: So to clarify, this is draft legislation right okay. now. Um, so it's being uh, the way the task force does not have the ability to pass laws on its own. Uh, it has to go through uh, other committees that are set up. Uh, but what the what this legislation is specifically doing is saying that you cannot uh, be required by court order to divulge your private key, and mostly. What we tried to do is uh, explain how anything that a court could want um, out of a uh, out out of that uh, sort of order, they could get by other means. So you could transfer assets out. Uh, you could prove ownership of the private key without mm-hmm. having to divulge the private key. You could prove what assets are you know hanging out underneath that private key. Uh, anything that you might need to know, whether it is how much is there, what is there. Do you own it? Is all available, and then then it just comes down to so why do you need the private key? Um, you can always just transact out of um, the assets out of uh, the wallet um, if if you need to. Uh, the other thing there is that that's that, that's kind of an individual use case. There are corporate use cases. So imagine you are an Unchained or a Casa or something like that, and you have a private key that is um, that you can sign for multiple uh, clients, uh, divulging that is a, you know, huge, you know, business risk, um, and, uh, and includes, you know, by definition, lots of, and lots of assets that wouldn't be subject to any court order. Um, so we couldn't really think of any good reason why you would need to do that. We had one very bright, uh, uh, legislator on the task force say, Guys, you know this, this is all well and good, but if a judge wants your blood, he's going to take your blood. <laughs> like what do, you, what do you think you're doing here? But I think it's a really important uh, it's a really important sort of line to draw, uh, especially saying that uh, because everything that a court might need you to do, they can do through other means. And it's just one of the examples of sort of individual protections that you would get in Wyoming if this passes.
3: And not in the United States, but we see, you know, especially in places like Australia, um, the governments are pushing harder and harder for uh, passwords and uh, various cryptographic keys to just be uh, fully available to government agents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this this isn't uh, uh talking about anything around like the back doors i think is what you're referring to sort of back doors into a lot of these systems that a lot of governments in australia and even in the united states are asking for oh no
3: i think it's also like if you were to get arrested or something they can like force you to give like you you are required to give them passwords
1: oh yeah Th- this would this would speak directly
3: to that then yeah yeah of course, yes. There's also problems with you know
2: backdoors and stuff. But mm-hmm. so would this would this stop civil asset forfeiture uh, with Bitcoin? No, not necessarily. Uh, because
1: again, while while uh, you can't be compelled to uh, divulge your private key, they can uh, request the assets underneath it, right? Just like they couldn't right. divorce element or anything like that, and. You know, for some people, that's one and the same thing. They'll say, "Well, I'm not going to give you my private key. Are you going to send the assets?" No, then you go to jail, and there's nothing we can do to stop that. Right. Uh, and in in a lot
2: of cases, we shouldn't be doing anything to stop that. Uh, well, but I feel like if if you like with cash, they can just take it, right? That they um, if they have to put you in jail, then I would imagine that there's more judicial review of the case than them just taking your cash if it's just sitting out.
1: Sure. So I think Bitcoin in general solves the problem of civil forfeiture uh, in those, in those yeah. types of cases so that it would have to go, you know, that's at the discretion of what some police officer that pulls you over and sees a bag of money in your car. Uh, yeah. I think judges are typically pretty good on these matters, right? Uh, and I wouldn't want uh, people to think that the laws we're passing are because we don't trust the judges or something like that. It, that's not. No, it's, it, this is to get things in front of the judge. Yeah, Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that this law helps in that scenario that you're talking about any more than Bitcoin already solves that, right? Bitcoin's already fixed that by making it, you know, they don't have access to your private key unless you've done something remarkably stupid. Uh, and they're not going to get it anyway. And this law doesn't really uh, address that issue. So yeah, those, those are examples of the uh, the type of stuff, uh, we've been working on this time that, that we're, we're we're trying to sort of differentiate the Wyoming jurisdiction versus others, not just on the business side, but on the individual side, but we've done a hell of a lot with, uh, on the business side, um, including last year. So do you want me to jump into those?
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Cool. So some of the fun things, uh, before I joined, uh, so last year, they had started out with uh, really that, that money tran- transmission law. So it was all about transactions that it's legal to, to transact in Wyoming uh, with uh, Bitcoin and making sure that uh, none of the laws in place were going to put us at a disadvantage to any other jurisdiction there. We're t- trying to take it one step further in a very... Uh, close vote, Uh, we've sent off to committee a uh, repeal of the money transaction law in Wyoming so that we would not require a money transmitter's license. I don't have really super high hopes for that one, Uh, but uh, it was uh, something that was, you know, fairly popular amongst the uh, public uh, testimony that we received and uh, on the task force itself. They had... um, done a token taxonomy act, which was basically giving definitions to the different types of crypto assets from virtual currencies to, Oh geez, that's the only one I actually care about. So, uh, (laughs) there were other ones. Uh, there was, it was called the ICO bill, basically, uh, virtual currencies, securities, uh, and,
2: um, shit coins.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot the other one. Uh, but again, was good from a jurisdiction standpoint to actually define what these things are, let people know what you considered to be a security, what you consider to be a uh, utility token. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, and what you considered to be an actual currency or virtual currency like Bitcoin. And uh, so they had worked on that. That was actually pretty groundbreaking. Uh, to my understanding, there was no one who had codified in law. And that is a law, by the way, that's been passed. Uh, who had codified that in any jurisdiction to give um, anyone working on a project, whether it's Bitcoin or otherwise, uh, certainty on how the local uh, regulators were going to deem the assets that they were um, selling, transacting with, anything like that. The real big one though, in my mind, uh, recently, Wyoming has a good history of this. Uh, Wyoming was the inventor in the United States of the LLC, which of course everyone's, you know, taken to is, uh, the SPDI bill, uh, the special purpose depository institutions. And this is the one that got me. It, it started last year. We've worked on it a lot this year. And this is the one that I think is going to catch a lot of people's eyes here in the next few months. Um, you know, after February when this all gets passed into law and to make it super simple, what an SPDI is, is a, it's a corporate formation, uh, that is essentially setting up a non-lending bank. So for all intents and purposes, it is a bank, but uh, you you can't lend. And the reason that's that qualification is important is that that's where a lot of the onerous regulations come in that have plagued a lot of the Bitcoin businesses, uh, especially the on-ramp, off-ramp, exchange-type businesses and payment processors that need connections into the fiat banking world, uh, and yet for organizational purposes they get cut off from that um, from that banking world, somewhat randomly it seems like sometimes depending you know uh, on what regulatory pressure they're under or what um, they're doing themselves. The SPDI essentially allows them to create banks. Uh, non-lending banks and because they're non-lending they're not part of the fdic the fdic doesn't have jurisdiction over um uh or doesn't doesn't have the ability to meddle with uh, the operations of these businesses like they do other banks which is often where a lot of that pressure comes from uh so if you're an exchange or if you're are you are a Payment processor or even a custodian of some kinds, uh, depending on you know what type of other services you're offering to your clients when it comes to accessing liquidity, um, this could be a really interesting uh, f- corporate formation for those types of companies. Um, and while I can't name names, I know that there are several that uh, all the listeners here would be aware of that are considering. Uh, moving part of their operations and legal structures to Wyoming specifically because of the SPDI uh, corporate formations, which are not just a renegade rogue thing that Wyoming's doing. We, we have talked to a lot of other regulatory bodies um, who, you know, as much as they're capable of on the federal level are giving us a nudge and a wink and saying, good luck, you better hurry up because a lot of people are going to copy you on this thing. Um, and, uh even the uh the local banking commissioner um in Wyoming has to be involved in this so they're involved in the process of uh approving charters for SBDIs, and um they're they're enthusiastic about it uh, to say the least um right now uh this this is something that we're really excited about taking off here it's fantastic
3: are there any other yeah. kinds of um stuff that that are geared towards individuals besides the uh private key
1: We've had some other things. Uh, so this year we also it, – it's a it's a little bit broad the way it's written right now, but it passed, I think, unanimously. We're, we're sending off a bill that uh, has to do with contributions uh, that programmers would uh, give to open source projects. So the long and short of it is you cannot be <sighs> – i'm so bad at legal speak i don't write these bills after all you cannot be found guilty of a crime solely for contributing code to a project so the idea that you uh that someone says bitcoin is now illegal and anyone who has written code on uh the you know on bitcoin core is now liable for something um uh that's not going to be a thing in wyoming um simply contributing code to the open source projects is not a crime and cannot be construed as a crime. That doesn't mean that developers are able to get away with all sorts of scams and terrible things that they do, but simply writing the code cannot be the sole reason that someone is prosecuted or, or found guilty for, or, or held liable. Um, uh, as it were. So, uh
2: oh, man, I was, I was hoping we could get Jeff Garzik, but I guess he will get away with his crimes once again. <laughs>
1: hey, you know what? Uh,
3: I think, I think he did get, uh, hit
2: off by one, you know, yeah. it goes both ways. So I've had my fair share of bugs in the node launcher. So I'm, I'm glad no one's holding me liable for that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where this is where you drop, uh, some of your personal, you know, feelings towards some of these projects in, uh, I've had to I've had to come to terms with that a little bit you know I came in you know very much in the Bitcoin maximalism sort of mindset. I still still am there personally, but you know I, I sort of see my role there is uh, one is making sure we're not doing anything that I think would hurt um, the case for Bitcoin, but I'm not against other legislation that could apply to more things than just Bitcoin right and um, in this in this type of case, it's already pretty broad, but I think that again, you know, whether, you know, for some people that are um, developing on something like Bitcoin anonymously, part of the reason why they're doing so is because of fear of uh, retribution whatever jurisdiction that they live in, right? We want to make, now, not that, you know, we're trying to make it so people don't, you know, contribute anonymously if they want to, uh, but certainly that uh, this would be seen for programmers and developers as a open uh place where they can experiment and do things that would, uh, in other places, cause them to be more cautious or scared or not do it
2: at all. And, and for companies to start contributing to open source, right? Because from a corporate perspective, they might have had concerns about their employees contributing yep. and the legal liability that that could cause.
1: Yeah, this is one of those that I feel like we'll be working on for a while. Like I, I, have, I have high hopes that it will be passed, and I think that it will have to go through amendments and things like that. But I, I think we did the the right thing starting out by carving out a pretty broad protection for individuals and uh, then, you know, going from there, which a lot of times you just have to do.
2: Yeah, eventually we need to get into like more detailed things like, uh, for example, uh, government officials, law enforcement should bow to open source contributors <laughs> and and show signs of respect uh, if they, they want to follow along
1: i i think that that would uh that would be great and maybe the bitcoin citadels can figure that out for themselves right uh th- they'll be able to uh, uh those will be the ultimate jurisdictions the uh, uh, jurisdictional uh competition but um you know really what i try to so many times in here like i i tried to uh replace every must with a may <laughs> in these bills Uh, Do not compel people or even other agencies, uh, government agencies within Wyoming to comply with what we come up with that day Um, is you you want people to have a choice on these things, you know, far be it for me to uh, dictate to. The treasurer's office, you know, if, if I mean, if it were up to me, the treasurer's office would be forced to put 10 percent of their portfolio into Bitcoin because that's the best thing possible for Wyoming citizens. And Wyoming w- would become the richest state in the union within, you know, five, 10 years if they just did that. They they have a sovereign wealth fund. I think it's thirty three billion dollars. They'd be you know, they would just they would rule the world. But, you know, that's not my job. That's the treasurer's job. So we want to make sure that the treasurer knows that they can. you know, under existing laws, invest into Bitcoin, you know, with the current legislation that's been passed and make, you know, a lot of the things that we do are not, you know, uh, legislation, but they are letters to other agencies um, or bargaining with, you know, the, you know, uh, banking regulators or something like that to let them know, you know, Hey companies have discomfort or they are unsure of how they will be regulated. Um, You know, you write it or re- will write it, and usually they'll they'll write it themselves and uh, provide that clarity. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to make you happy though. I mean, you you really want to force people here, right?
2: Well, yeah, but but you make a good point that uh, not not compelling people to do things might actually uh, get more buy-in than uh, mm-hmm. coming on strong uh, on, on the long term on the long term game. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we uh, play a Jocko clip at the end of every podcast to uh, remind us for the, the long game, keep the mission in mind. Uh, you yes. know, um, so there, it, it's interesting, too, because if um, if the government held Bitcoin, then it presents all sorts of different issues. Uh, if there were actually like geopolitical risks that materialized and uh yeah, I think it changes Bitcoin's game theory to have uh, governments own Bitcoin, even though it's very unlibertarian. From the perspective of uh, keeping Bitcoin secure against state actors, it's actually the best way to do that is to uh, incentivize them that way.
1: Yeah, I and mean, I think we're kidding ourselves if, if Bitcoin is to achieve its full potential and full promise, uh, government entities would be absolutely. I mean, they're already late to the game, right? They need to get in. Um, and especially for uh, places that are, you know, working really hard on economic development, uh, you know, I, I, I come back to, we're going to pass a lot of great laws and that's going to be fantastic. And it's going to move businesses to Wyoming and give individuals, you know, certain clarity on what, you know, the friendliest place to do business and transact and all those fun things. But if the state of Wyoming, I, I, I believe, if they're really serious about this, the first thing they do is go to their sovereign wealth fund and uh, invest directly into Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's the smartest thing they could do to bring the most economic prosperity to the people of Wyoming. Uh, they'll never have another uh, budget deficit for as
2: long as there are people there and as long as the government is in power. I think that the way this should be framed is it's not like a financial investment. It's more like opening an embassy in a foreign country. And so getting uh, you know space on the UTXO set uh, is you... You know, going to the sovereign world of Bitcoin and being like, "Hey, we we want to have friendly relations with you," and uh, so we're opening an embassy here in this UTXO, so. and that that way it's more of like uh, you know international diplomacy, or or I guess we're gonna have to have a new world for new word for international, uh, some kind of crypto anarchy diplomacy. I'm all for that. Yeah.
3: Well, then, you know, once once they're holding Bitcoins, it's, it's harder for them to uh, be wanting to pass various rules around open source contribution
1: because they themselves uh, depend on it. Well, sure. I mean, I, this might be pseudo intellectual. I don't know. Uh, you, you guys be the judge of that and tell me if I'm just spouting bullshit. But I remember feeling uh, some form of okay, the U.S. government is not going to be completely hostile to Bitcoin. We're, we're, we're reaching a milestone here when the U.S. government started selling Bitcoin. They don't sell the cocaine that they confiscate. You know, they confiscated Bitcoin and then they sold it you know, in an open auction. And that gave me some sort of comfort to say that uh, it's, it's going to be hard to go back on that.
3: Yes. Yeah. I, I had the same feeling around the same time, although uh, I think that the, the government does owe it to Ross Ulbricht to uh, get his uh, stolen Bitcoins back to him.
1: Yes, uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I was not happy that they confiscated it to begin with, but there was a certain amount. But they were, they were legitimizing it. Yes, to, to a certain extent. And certainly owning it um, would uh, legitimize it even more. Well, and even thus far, I mean, we've seen some
3: cases of various people, whether it's uh, Brad Sherman <laughs> calling for an outright, uh, like outlawing of of Bitcoin to, um, I forget the man's name uh, here in here in Texas who wanted to do some absolutely ridiculous uh, sort of privacy invasive uh, legislation around uh, Bitcoin purchases. Um, like at stores and stuff
1: um, with sort of
3: know your customer
1: rules yeah. for businesses. Um, but generally that was great speaking... for Wyoming, by the way, especially the uh, the Texas legislature because uh, I believe Tyler and Caitlin came down to film and talk to that person and film outside of the state capitol, you know, uh, begging all Texas businesses to... Uh, not begging, sorry. Advertising uh, uh, the opposite uh, thing that was going on in Wyoming. In fact, you know, nothing's better than... Other states doing that, at least for our purposes in Wyoming right now, you know, we're, we're, we're building the anti-BIT license. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so the more states that uh, screw that up, uh, the better for us.
3: Right. But, but generally speaking, it's actually difficult to come up with too many outright hostile uh, uh, instances of, of uh, the United States government uh, being anti-Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, it's been more uh, on the fringes. I think that uh, dealing with the banking system has been extraordinarily difficult, especially for uh, the exchanges. Um, so I'm more from the practical sense. Yeah, it, it's been about operations. It's just been a slog to get through. And randomly, you know, your bank as an individual, uh, because you are pulling uh, pulling out dollars from one of the U.S. exchanges, will not accept your deposit. You know, there's all this friction right now that's not outright hostility from a government sense, but has been at least the, sorry, the most charitable it's been uh, that people have been confused on how to deal with this. Right. And that's why it's important that, you know, I I do hope over time that more and more states adopt the type of stuff that we're doing in Wyoming right now, because it will be good for everyone in the United States. And that matters to me. But uh, a lot of that just comes from businesses not knowing how they're supposed to act here. Uh, some of that neutrality from the federal government and state governments and state regulators uh, has turned into really uh, sporadic enforcement of certain, you know, laws that are on the books and different interpretations and things like that. And when you talk about really building that that business infrastructure around Bitcoin, the things that we, you know, at least I uh, think are important for it long term, you think about the certainty that you get by knowing that your business is going to be around tomorrow and that the thing that you're doing today is not illegal. Um, so it doesn't take outright hostility to make things extraordinarily difficult, Mm -hmm. but you know, from an individual standpoint, I don't care that much. I'm fine. I have my (laughs) bitcoin. I'm able to be self-sovereign. Uh, I don't need their permission and I'm, I'm okay with that. Right. But the practical side of me says that, uh, you know in order for bitcoin to become the world's reserve currency in order for it to fulfill its ultimate potential uh, in order to get into the most people's hands possible we do have to create that um, uh, consistent uh, enforcement of what the rules are uh, from a jurisdictional standpoint that Bitcoin's unaware of and will you know chuggle on fine without but uh, would certainly be helpful um, especially to the businesses that are that are trying to build on top of it.
2: I, I think that the 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 real like a huge thing that would move the needle for commerce in Wyoming would be if there was an association of ranchers that sold beef for Bitcoin, and that way they could really tap into the Bitcoin community's uh, interest in beef, uh, whether it's just you know dabbling in it or like Michael here really you know, being absorbed by beef, big beef. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's a, it seems like a natural, yeah, it's a, it seems like a natural fit.
1: You know, I don't have any you know grand announcements right now, but uh, I do know several ranchers, uh, uh, large scale operations that uh, are interested in taking Bitcoin. Um so uh, I, I do not think that is a future that is very far. Uh, that you can buy Wyoming beef with your Bitcoin. Uh, the ranchers would be more than happy to have your Bitcoin uh, for their beef. I consider that a very fair trade, and uh, that uh, hopefully that'll be coming uh, soon in the next year.
3: Good. I, I've been hoping that more more um, sort of uh, beef beef based financials would uh, emerge, so we can be you know pricing our bitcoins in beef. Rather than such, um, you know, volatile and fragile currencies. Yeah. Like here's US what dollar. we need to do.
2: You know, like how they have the like Chicago Mercantile Exchange where they trade like beef futures. There needs to be a Wyoming Mercantile Exchange where they trade beef futures, Bitcoin denominated. That way, and, you know, and you have physical settlement in both directions. This way, I can accurately measure my net worth. Yeah. Without the manipulation of the fiat system. I mean
1: this would be a really good use of the rest of this podcast, right? Is let's just give a bunch of ideas of businesses for people who open up in Wyoming we'll have a flood of them opening them up opening up, setting up SPDIs and setting up LLCs. Uh uh there, you know, that that's fine with me too. <laughs> right, well we're trying to think beef big.
3: that easily gets into leather goods. <laughs> um which would be good uh, you could team up with uh guns and Bitcoin for uh quality leather
2: gun holsters, and then once you have the leather market, the world is your oyster because that you can you can make anything with leather <laughs> and
3: plus you'll be so cool you know with your jacket and everything. <laughs>
1: The only hey, problem, much, though... Much more creative entrepreneurial minds than I do.
2: Yeah, the the, the biggest growth sector right now is, is vegan products, so I, I don't think that you're going
1: to hit something now Oh, hard. did I not mention that the task force outlawed vegan products? Oh,
2: no. Vegan. Wow. No. I thought you were not... Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is why I shouldn't have any real power, because... Uh, you, know, Wait, the, you, should, uh, you should pass a law that says it's okay to be not a vegan. Like... <laughs> you are allowed to eat beef in wyoming yes so yeah. we're not forcing it, it, it on anyone but we're just making it clear jurisdictionally that this is permitted behavior
1: i uh i think that uh wyoming will be the last place on earth that needs that law although <laughs> you know, if, if it does uh they'll be the first ones to pass it <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, th- this brings me to
3: like an important question, because y- you have me sold. I mean, I- I've seen the place. Uh, mm-hmm. h- h- how do Bitcoiners go about finding the best uh, locations for Citadels?
1: Oh, well, uh, I- I'll-, I'll stick to what I know best, which is Wyoming, is uh, Wyoming is, you know, I think, you know, let's talk about the qualities of the citadels that you need uh, or the things that you would need for a proper citadel. I mean, one of those things is probably a food source um, to, you know, feed the population of whatever citadel you're in. And Wyoming is a great place for that. Uh, uh, they, uh, uh, I, I know of, and uh, it is a huge producer of uh, beef cattle, um, sheep, uh, buffalo, uh, uh, all, all sorts of uh, different you know, herding animals that, uh, that would be great for the Citadel, but, uh, yeah, go out and find some, uh, some good land, uh, with, uh, live water or good wells that you can dig and, uh, buy some, buy some cattle. It's not that expensive.
3: This is one of my favorite things about Wyoming is everywhere you went, um, yeah, everywhere you go in Wyoming, there's just cattle and bison themed stuff. Oh yeah. All the, all the decorations, all the logos of stuff. Um, it's great, fantastic, uh, fantastic
1: Western art too. Yes, very much so. Uh, you know, especially when you get up into like Sheridan or Jackson Hole, that, where they you know have most of the galleries and things like that. It's uh, it's 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 pretty impressive. Oh, okay. I just, uh, no no one no one has gotten bored of uh, painting the
2: Tetons yet. You just mentioned Jackson Hole and it reminded me that there's a big central bank meeting at Jackson Hole every year. Um, Mm -hmm. So could could Wyoming maybe pass a law against that and (laughs) keep the no-coiner central bankers out?
3: Or require Um, that
2: they have Pierre and I
1: yeah, uh, attendance. attendance.
2: You know, you should pass a lot of tests. You may invite Michael Goldstein and Pierre Ouchard as <laughs> like in law. I think
1: I think it would be more effective to say, you know, you can only park your private jets. Uh, the hangars will only accept Bitcoin yeah. for uh, your overnight stays here. That'll, that'll
2: <laughs> is that a is, is it a state airport or I don't know how airports even work. Who who owns airports? What. <laughs>
1: What's the deal with airlines? Have you ever been to an airport? This is outside of my expertise. But uh, no, it's uh, locally. owned.
2: (laughs) I wish my Jerry Seinfeld was better, but that's the best I can do. (laughs) What's the deal with airplanes these days? Um, Yeah. All right. So we've got a good list of ideas now for the uh, next uh, task force meeting. Um, But maybe our listeners will have better ideas than us.
1: Yeah, actually, I wanted to throw a couple things out there uh, that are important to how this all works. Uh, Again, dropping my previous cynical side is that it matters who shows up uh, to these meetings. So we we just wrap up the last one of this year um, and we'll be reconvening next year, probably with a different name than the blockchain task force. And with a little bit of a broader scope of what we're working on, but uh, the legislators are working on that. But uh, at least the way it's been going the last two years, it really does matter who shows up. So uh, if you can imagine, um, they, they appoint citizens to the task force simply for their expertise. Uh, and so, for instance, you know, the three citizens on this task force were myself, Caitlin Long, and Matt Kaufman, who's a securities lawyer in, um, in Wyoming. That comes in really handy when you're passing laws in this space. Um, but... And of course, the legislators have become very, very knowledgeable themselves. But we are there to listen to the people that show up and say, uh, I'm an individual, I'm a programmer, uh, I want to start a business. And these are the types of things that are causing us problems. These are the types of things that would be attractive. We've had awesome participation um, from a lot of uh, great companies, great individuals. Uh, uh, Christopher Allen, for instance, has come up Uh, He spent so much of his personal time coming up to teach people about, you know, uh, some of the more uh, complex cryptographic uh, issues. He was very influential in the legislation that we referred to earlier around uh, being compelled to show a private key um, in in a courthouse, you know, know, all those types of things. Uh, It really does matter who shows up. Uh, And everyone's given time who wants to to uh, speak up on any of the agenda items to suggest new agenda items. And if you can make it out there, uh, it's it's fun for more than just that. It's a great place to meet, you know, fellow Bitcoiners. Uh, a lot of people that you wouldn't expect are there and care about creating, um, you know, the best possible jurisdiction for Bitcoin Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies to uh, live in and work in. Uh, and it's also just a great place that a lot of people haven't been to before. Um, Michael went up there for the first time; he can attest. This is turning into a little bit of a uh, of an infomercial here for the uh, tourism Not agency, again. the second biggest part of the Wyoming economy. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, anyone listening here, if you want to, if you want to come out uh, next year, especially in February, uh, they this is when uh, the Uh, legislature actually gets together to vote up and down some of the new laws that uh, are going through that include some of the things we talked to about tonight and some amendments to previous laws, but yeah, showing up matters. Where can people go to find out more about,
3: you know, times and stuff like that?
1: Um, I'll grab them for the show notes for you. It's on, it's on a website. (laughs) Sorry.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we should, uh, we should do like a podcast, like three weeks before. And so it's like book your tickets. Now's yeah. the time. We need to get ready to go to Wyoming. That way we can get about five thousand bitcoiners <laughs> to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not only would that permanently boost GDP just from that one day or whatever it is, um, but also it would it would be an overwhelming show for us. Let's get more yeah.
3: nodes up in Wyoming. Yeah, A single weekend yeah. of just the entire state getting noted.
1: There was one point uh there are now more nodes in Wyoming than there were back then, but there was one point where there were three nodes running in Wyoming, and I owned all three so <laughs> or at least at least ones that I could identify yeah yeah um yeah I mean just to give people an example this last time uh this last session that we had uh was uh in Laramie Wyoming where the University of is located there was a uh, hackathon afterwards that uh one of our friends justin moon won the grand prize on or one of the grand prizes on um uh, and the you know the type of people that we had there speaking you know uh caitlin long was giving uh talks on you know what the task force was up to and doing along with tyler we had uh, trace mayer there uh, who's been you know involved uh, has talked about it um you know publicly as well uh in his interest in uh, what's being passed in Wyoming right now and, you know, you know, encouraging people to get involved. Um some, some other, you know, uh, Pomp and uh, Peter McCormick and some other people, it's, it's been, it's been a good place uh, to get good people to come and, uh, you know, lend their two cents for what we should be doing. So.
3: I mean, I'm definitely ready for another visit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And scouting out a Citadel location for sure. Yes. And we always end with steak dinners at night. So, uh,
2: well, what's the internet situation like?
1: Uh, the internet uh,
2: for individuals there. So, yeah, like the the bandwidth. Do you have uh, Google Fiber or? Well, Jackson <laughs> Google Hall, that did is not. Right. Select- Google did not
1: unfortunately select Wyoming for uh, one of its experimental cities like Kansas City or Austin, or I think New York or a few others. Um, Wyoming only has 500,000 people total in the state. It's the the least or 560,000, somewhere between 500 and 600,000 people. Um, uh, uh, But it does have core backbone internet fiber going through it. So uh, last mile hookups are uh, available. Um, I know that, you know, we've uh, looked into doing that at certain buildings in downtown Cheyenne for individual access. Um, it right now I don't think there's a lot of fiber. Um, however, there there are other ways. You know, I, I live in the middle of freaking nowhere and uh do just fine. I could be doing this podcast on Google Hangouts with a node running and uh Netflix or something like that on TV, you
2: know, just fine. So I think too, if enough bitcoiners show up, we'll uh we'll make that happen. Oh yeah, there's got to be five hundred thousand bitcoiners out there willing to move so that we get fifty percent of the votes. Which yeah, honestly, 50, we wouldn't even probably need to attack
3: the uh, Wyoming legislature, or, or the, uh, just Wyoming an intolerant minority yeah. really would be enough.
1: Well, the good Let's news go is, like is that uh, i just
3: need fifty thousand.
1: Yeah. Pierre, people like you and Michael will find it, uh, deeply un, you know, ungratifying because there's not too many people to fight against there, uh, that, that yeah. they're pretty much a very, you know, uh, conservative libertarian style, you know, uh, you would find it, uh, not nearly as fun as fighting in New York or, you know, say Austin or something. Like
2: that. You know, I do all of my combat in cyberspace. I don't, I don't do meat space <laughs> combat. You, you're telling me that there's an entire state that acts as an echo
3: chamber for Bitcoin yeah. maximalists. You yes. don't need to build a Citadel. You just move to the Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming is the Citadel, people.
1: Yeah.
2: I, you know, I, 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 you know, with,
1: with, with, with the Citadel, uh, stuff coming up, I, you know, I've somewhat selfishly kept this to myself, but, uh, yeah, it already exists. <laughs> All right,
3: Sorry, I'm just, uh, you know, booking my flight right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so are there any things that you are less excited about as far as Wyoming blockchain stuff?
1: You know, uh, it'd be easy to complain. There are some things that we pass that don't have anything to do with Bitcoin. Uh, that, uh, if anything, just make you know my eyes glaze over. Uh, usually, those come up because there's public testimony, and you know we have to take that seriously. Uh, so, uh, honestly, I don't really have anything to be cynical about. There are some things that I think people can look at. You know, the the ICO bill or something like that, where them they as Bitcoiners don't you know, see how it helps them and or think even that it might uh, um, help proliferate certain scams or charlatans there. I do worry about that a little bit. And I've seen some of those characters running around Wyoming. Uh, uh, That's all the more reason to uh, uh, listen to my plea for you to show up, right? Um, To speak your mind on these things. Uh, It's one of the reasons, was one of the motivations for me to join. I was happy to find out that it wasn't nearly as influential as I had previously thought. But, um, yeah, you know, so there's, there's a little bit of that. And if anything, um, it's just a distraction. Uh, we're not passing legislation. We're not putting things on that would be harmful to Bitcoin. We're not, you know, quite the opposite, you know. And uh, if anything, that aspect of it can sometimes just, you know, take our eye off the ball a little bit or waste a little bit of time. Uh, but really, I have nothing bad to say about what the task force has been doing, uh, the effort that they've been putting in, the laser focus that they've had on, you uh, You know, helping out people trying to make Wyoming more attractive and doing, you know, right by their mandate, which is to, you know, drive economic growth um, in the state, which I think uh, I think very, very really what they're doing has a good chance of uh, doing just that.
3: That's fantastic. Um, So, I mean, do you think that there's like just a like, let's say like uh, ICO bills and stuff pass? Um, It's your non-cynical view, just that it uh, it doesn't harm Bitcoin. Yeah, even if it helps certain scams,
1: pretty much. Uh, And to be honest, like once I heard Caitlin talk more about it, um, you know, she was very upfront with people. It's like, yeah, you know, there there are going to be some scammers that show up here. I think that again, this being the first sort of government, you know task force entity you know program that i've ever been involved with uh one of the things that i realized that, uh, that they were doing and tyler you know has very good uh a very strong uh tyler lindholm that is uh, the, the the chairman of the task force's strong libertarian pedigree is that um a lot of all of the bills that we've been passing have been for, sorry not literally all, but the vast majority when it, uh, when it comes to individuals have been permissive bills, uh, allowing people to do things where otherwise they were unsure if they could do or were outright not allowed to do and where they've been restrictive. They've been restrictive on the state and federal agencies that might, you know, prevent you from doing something. Um, so that, I know that's a, you know, kind of a weaselly, you know, broad thing for me to be saying, but that means that none of what we've been doing hurts Bitcoin directly. If anything, yeah, it could give some legitimacy to some projects that I personally don't, um, don't agree with or want to, you know, <laughs> want to promote, but, uh, simply passing laws that, uh, allow people to experiment and do things I don't think is endorsement of those things. It's, uh, you know, opening it up to be a permissive place to, uh, try things out. Um, because honestly, those things are going to fail on their merits anyway. Um, right. I mean, this is, this is like a constant, you know, attack on Bitcoin
3: maximalists that we we hate competition, uh, when really it's just, we, we accept the, the full consequences of monetary co- competition. I, I mean, there,
1: there, there are very few things I worry about less than the competition yeah. from shitcoins. <laughs> um, honestly, uh, it boggles my mind. It, it makes me sad. To see people get caught up in them, uh, to get caught yep. up in uh, so much of this stuff, but certainly in my role in the task force, uh, as small as it might be, uh, I wouldn't want to forcefully stop anyone from you know participating in this. A things.
2: lot of them end up becoming Bitcoiners anyway. So what's the uh, um, and it's interesting? <laughs> I've seen them also become Bitcoiners, but like really more anti shitcoin than we ever were. Uh, and so they're like really going the extra mile on Twitter in terms of the trolling uh, of altcoiners. And uh, so I think that people who get burned on them through the cycle uh, turn out to, to be the, the worst enemies of these.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more uh, compassionate than some of my friends on, on these matters. But, you know, not that I was ever you know actively shitcoining, but I remember in 2012 and 2013 being you know, I had the smart contract bug a little bit. I was, you know, daydreaming, you know, fantasizing about, you know, all the different things that could happen there that, you know, when I heard of the Ethereum, uh, project that was like, Oh, some of these things actually sound, everyone goes through their own sort of cycle there. But I would agree with the idea that a lot of people come out the other side, um, just fine. And they don't need us, uh, you know, uh, they might, they might, uh, get some ridicule, ridicule from us, uh, during that process. But, uh, but uh they'll make up their own minds and uh if there is any force, you know, involved in this, uh they'll be forced to buy the marketplace because uh those projects and those coins will, you know, disappear like we've seen ninety nine percent of them disappear over, you know, the lifespan of Bitcoin. Uh again, it's one of the things I worry about least. Um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah the the ultimate shit coin is the US dollar. Let's uh keep the goal in mind. People get distracted. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs>
1: uh, Tyler was telling me a story, uh, Lindholm, about the one of the original uh, bills they tried to pass in the first uh, session that I was not a, a part of um, in 2018, and they were trying to get some sort of definition for Bitcoin to be legal tender uh, in the state of Wyoming, but apparently that the LSO came back to them and was like that's
2: unconstitutional. You can't actually. Do can actually do that you know, it's it's a step too far you time for an amendment only the federal reserve can do that unconstitutionally <laughs> <laughs> yes yes there's that that is still reserved for for one bank which
1: you know is is another thing i think about when when we're working in wyoming is that uh you know i'm of the opinion you know i like i like the memes around you know uh long bitcoin short the banks who's that pump that, that is always doing that one but uh in reality in my mind is that you know uh, while it, you know, Bitcoin can wreck several, you know, banking business models that it's money and what is the business of money is banks. And of course there will be banks. And of course, you know, it gets rid of one bank completely, yeah.
3: uh, long Bitcoin, short the bank, the bank. Yes.
1: Yeah, so that, that, that would be, you know, technically my, 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 my favorite, uh, mm-hmm. tagline there. But, uh, uh, no, I think a lot about that as we're you know working through the task force stuff is, uh is setting up that you know regulatory framework and you know clarity where uh bitcoin can actually be treated as money which does include banking um and i think i think inevitably will and
3: well there's been a lot of work towards uh, various custodial issues as well to to help those kinds of businesses flourish properly
1: absolutely yeah the the custodian issues have been something that uh that Wyoming's really tackled a lot of uh, there was some stuff I know last year in one of the, uh, you know, banking bills, I think was the name everyone gave it in Wyoming where uh, there was some, and again, this is, you know, participate. I, I think this actually got changed because of the reaction on Twitter was there was a, there was an attack surface for one of the bills that was passed, which was basically requiring custodians to, um, to provide liquidity on any fork of a coin that was under their uh, under their control, uh, you know, if it was under their control, it's not required that custodians have control of uh, someone's assets. But if they did, it would require them to provide immediate liquidity to any fork uh, that uh, resulted. And this was seen as like a consumer protection thing, but it was a huge attack surface on custodians, right? Is that you know anyone can fork you know several, sorry anyone can fork Bitcoin at any time and create this you know nightmare for custodians that all of these you know uh, senseless uh, you know Bitcoin pizzas of the world uh, uh, have to be you know within some time frame uh, uh, given to the uh, uh, or given to the original you know uh, Bitcoin hold- holder. Uh, so yeah, they, they don't know that's been fixed. Right. Uh, there's like a custodian agreements that they have to have in place before these types of things happen. Um, and, uh, I don't even remember why I got off on that. I think you said the word custodian and I went off. Yeah, no, I I want to hear these things. So, so with, with that, what kind of, what would a custodian agreement look like? So this is really up uh, to like a relationship between the custodian and an individual. So, What the law is aware of is that these agreements will exist, and that uh, those sort of govern the relationship, and that the state doesn't actually have a preference for how a custodian uh, treats uh, things like airdrops or forks or things like that. Uh, So you could have you could have one custodian that's like
3: full on, you know, Bitcoin Core. We don't even we only have a Bitcoin Core node, and we don't even see anything else that happens. And you could have another one that says. Given that you know the the market acts in such and such way mm-hmm. so this thing is existing beyond two weeks then we'll we'll yeah kinda, uh, move stuff
1: to you and they can get as creative as they as they want the the only requirement yeah. that the that the state has for you know uh for you know, not even legislation, how the courts would deal with this is uh they would honor the agreements between the custodian and the uh and the customer, right? So like uh, proper kind of common law yeah practice. And of course that doesn't, you know, apply to lots of custodian type companies, you know, whether it's you know unchained or CASA or those types of companies where they don't actually, you know, hold your Bitcoin for you. They're they're providing a signing service. You know, it wouldn't apply to them necessarily. Uh, but if they were, you know, if you had full custody over someone's assets, then there would be an agreement in place that would govern, Mm -hmm. uh, how, how those things work. Uh, and you know, they'll start competing over that, you know, there are people that will, you know, want their B cash and there will be people who don't even, you know, give a shit. I think that any custodian that didn't give people access to say their B cash to, you know, to dump it, uh, probably lost a lot of (laughs) face. So there are good reasons to want those types of agreements where you can get those, uh, airdrops, um. Right. Right. And, and really the, the recognition was that we shouldn't be legislating that that was just a mistake on our part. And, uh, I, I believe, you know, I saw, you know, conversations online between, uh, you know, Adam back and trace and Caitlin, as that stuff came out. And it was very quickly identified that this was, an attack vector on custodians uh, in the state of Wyoming. And it got fixed by the next session.
2: It's great to see uh, open source collaboration on the law. You know, that's something that should happen more often of like, Oh, let's tweet out what we're going to do. Let's take in some feedback and then let's actually take in, into account what people say. But um, yeah, I
1: don't know if other places do it, but it's, it's honestly the thing that made me the most pumped up to work on this stuff was the fact that it was like, Oh, we're not just, a group of, you know, 9, 10, 11 people sitting in a corner trying to come up with everything. Uh, uh, you know, 90% of the agenda, you know, that's only 10% of it is is our own brains coming up with this stuff. 90% of it is coming from people who participate by showing up or just chiming in, you know, wherever they, you know, whether it be on Twitter or somewhere else.
3: It's also great to see that, you know, <laughs> Twitter actually does kind of matter, um, meaning like you can actually have a voice. Um, if, if you have good
1: ideas to share, people will listen. Twitter doesn't just matter it's the greatest web product ever built. It's incredible
2: it's fascinating to see uh the who who complains about Twitter versus who likes Twitter uh, and it's uh it's an interesting dichotomy there I've never uh, different personality types. The only people I've heard
1: complain about Twitter are usually people who are upset that other people get to say things <laughs> right that's never really yeah they want to have a game yeah. You know, I, I have several friends, you know, uh, block and mute is your friend. Uh, you, it's, it's fairly easy to get rid of the people on your stream that you don't want infiltrating it.
2: But you can't stop other people from reading that, that we, you, which you disagree with. So that's where, uh, you know, that's where the antagonism towards Twitter, I think, comes from.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's probably the case. Uh, I see it exactly the opposite. It is by far the best product I've ever seen made for the Internet and it's not even close. It's got to be open-minded.
2: Geez, I came here to about Wyoming and now I'm shilling Twitter. Hmm. Gosh. Um, do you have anything else to show before we uh, close out the episode?
1: Um, go to the uh, Bitcoin stack exchange site. It is an awesome resource. You've had people on like merch before come and talk about uh, Bitcoin stack exchange. Uh, it's an amazing resource. I actually work at, um, uh, stack overflow right now. And, uh, this is one of our coolest uh, you know stack exchange communities. It's uh, you know full of magical moments where you go and uh, you know ask ask your question and Peter Woolley answers it, or you know Greg Maxwell answers it. Uh, it. It's a really cool place. We need people to uh, continue to contribute, which doesn't mean necessarily asking or answering questions. Uh, just voting um, can be helpful um, to make sure that the right type of stuff is there. Um, so go check it out there. And uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point, too, by the way. It's like if
3: you ever, if if, first of all, it really is an amazing resource. uh, if you have any kind of technical questions, but definitely hit that hit that upvote if someone answers the question well, because mm -hmm. those algorithms are working to help other people learn.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot of people who either go straight to stack overflow where, you know, the rule set is made for stack overflow. Uh, you know, what is on and off topic, the governance is different from the stack uh, exchange site. The stack exchange site is definitely broader. Uh, it's still very technical, but um, uh, there are uh, more types of questions will be on topic. There it has a great set of moderators. It has um, uh, a really good seated community. There's, you know, thousands upon thousands of great question-and-answer pairs in there. Bitcoin Optech right now, a uh, fantastic resource, uh, does do some curation on top of the Bitcoin Stack Exchange and includes some of the greatest hits in their newsletter, uh, so I'll show that as well. But um, What are some of your favorite questions that you've seen on,
3: on the Bitcoin Stack Exchange? Oh geez, putting me on the spot like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't name them right off the top. I think I think one of my favorites is still. Uh, there's one about basically the supply cap. Oh yeah, Peter, Peter Woolley. is like, well, it's not technically 21 million because the geometric series, and this is what the upper limit. But then he just like goes through this whole list of like, well, so and so lost some bitcoins here. This block did not actually take the subsidy et cetera, et cetera. And by the end, I mean, how many Bitcoins are there? Question marks. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, somewhere uh, I, less I, than 21 million. between
1: the lines because we talked about that question recently and you were being a good host and egging me on to name that question. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the only other thing I guess would be, uh, you know, you can follow me at Will Cole on Twitter. Um, uh, I am there. I don't talk a whole lot, but when I do, it's usually about Stack Overflow and Bitcoin. Uh, two two subjects that probably appeal to a lot of people here awesome and uh, we'll, we'll get that uh, wyoming
3: ta- uh, blockchain task force information in the show notes
1: yeah yeah i want to get that in there uh, for Just go to that website yeah yeah <laughs> the website uh
2: that i will uh to be named later right and then we can get everyone to show up in wyoming next year and it'll be a fun party yes absolutely maybe we Organize like a Bitcoin conference at the same time, so that you kind of juice the numbers in terms of uh, how many people come. I think that's a fantastic idea. We we did the
1: hackathon this year, and then uh, yeah. you know doing doing a Bitcoin centric conference in Laramie, Cheyenne, Jackson, Sheridan, one of those types of places would be great.
2: Yeah, uh, and uh, well provisioned with beef too, so it's all it's all good. Yes. All right. Later, Will. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you.
3: You got
4: to play the game,
3: and sometimes even from you, when you just said to me, you know, you said, "Well, you know, sometimes you—it's—it's not right to turn a blind eye on things," Mm. and it's like sometimes you have to, if you want to get yourself to a
4: position. Like my, my well, it seems to me that you're making a distinction between discipline and strategy, like, and and and. And Like impulsive moral responding, you know Like let's say that you are in a situation where you have a boss who's intolerable and maybe what you'd like to do You know the resentment has built up over five years and you'd like to go in there and and yell at him and tell him everything You think and you think well, that's the truth It's like well, it's actually it's not a very sophisticated truth because you're doing a shallow and impulsive analysis of the situation like it would have been the case that You've already compromised yourself in 500 ways, and, and I'll get back to the playing the game issue, because you do have to discipline yourself too, and, and you have to discipline yourself to, to some degree by allowing yourself to do arbitrary things that are part of the system, right? That's a necessary part of discipline. And discriminating that from um, compliance with unethical activity mm-hmm. is very difficult, mm-hmm. so that's a hard situation, but let's say, You're 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 going to counsel someone who has an intolerable boss And they come in and they're right at the end of their tether because maybe that's why they come for counseling They say I really want to tell that son of a bitch what I think of him and you think well wait a second here Okay, first of all You've already Eradicated from the list of reasonable possibilities that Decision by failing to say small things that you could have said all the way along And it's not like you can just all of a sudden blurt all of that out now and that wipes the slate clean and that constitutes truth. It's too unsophisticated. So let's think, okay, so what is it that you want? Well, I don't want this job anymore. It's like, okay, now let's actually have a strategy about this then. You don't want this job anymore. Can you get another job? Well, I, I don't think so. Well... So you can't just quit. Well, no, I can't because then I don't have any money and my family depends on the job. It's like, okay, so you can't just stop this. That's not a viable solution. You go out of the frying pan into the fire or you you substitute one set of unethical actions for another set of unethical actions that are even worse. That's not helpful. All right, so let's start thinking about what exactly it is that you want. It's like, well, maybe I want a better job I wanna work for someone who's more reasonable. Okay, so what's stopping you? Well, I don't have my CV in order. My resume isn't up to date. Well, why is that? Well, I haven't done it for five years and I don't like doing it. Well, why is that? Well, because I'm kind of embarrassed about it because it has holes in it and it shows where I'm mm-hmm. lackadaisical and where I'm not prepared. It's like, okay, how many things are there like that? Well, there's a bunch of things and they're all associated with how I have procrastinated in the past. It's like, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do to rectify that? So I'll say to people, why don't you update your CV? That, that's what we'll do first. Because if you're going to look for a different job, I'm not saying you're going to look for a different job. But if you're going to look for a different job, you're not going to unless your CV is updated. Yeah. And so why you're don't you also go,
3: not going to unless you can get a good recommendation from this boss
4: yeah, that's yeah, a tyrant. Yeah, and well, so you've got to play the game There's sometimes. 10 strategic actions that you're going to have to take in order to make yourself able to move laterally or up. And the truth is isn't going in and yelling at your boss and telling him everything you think about him. The truth is... Trying to figure out the very very difficult process of how you put yourself in a better position and that, that like one of the things that's quite fun about this lecture tour is the letters that I receive or the stories that people tell me about switching jobs because they do realize that they're and I often talk to people about consulting their resentment. Resentment's a really useful emotion, like it's really dangerous. Um, It's one of the most dangerous psychological states, I believe. But it's unbelievably useful because resentment usually only means one of two things. It either means quit whining and, and take it on because you're immature, or it means you're allowing yourself to be taken advantage of and you have something to say or do. And so you want to sort out the first part and find out if you're just being immature. And you can think that through and you can talk to people. Um, but, But if it's the second, it's like, no, you've compromised yourself in a variety of ways and you have to figure out how to get out of that. And if you're resentful, that's evidence that you have in fact done that. Okay, so now the issue would be, well, how can you set your life up so that you can be without that resentment? And so that's when you start to develop a strategy for... You know and and it it, there's actually an adventure in this too. I mean I've had a number of clients who have been in jobs that they didn't like at all and you know They were tyrannized by someone for example, and they were also working below their hypothetical level and we'd put together a plan It's like okay, you're gonna make three times as much money in in five years. That's the plan But like that's not gonna be simple. So you there's education you got to educate yourself Maybe formally because you've got holes you got to fix up your resume you've got to you've got to overcome your fear of being interviewed you have to start sending out like 50 resumes a week on a regular basis and be prepared for a 99% rejection rate you you're going to look for a different job and it's probably going to take six months to a year and almost all of that is going to be rejection you have got to steal yourself from for that and prepare and maybe this is going to be a three-year process it's no trivial thing but you know it's almost inevitably I can't remember a single example where the consequence of that very careful, detailed, strategic thinking wasn't a massively substantive improvement in socioeconomic positioning and a great movement towards a improving trajectory and 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 there's advantages even along the way because even before that happens the fact that you're taking genuine steps to put yourself in a better situation immediately starts to reduce your resentment even if it isn't having positive consequences to begin with but you have to be realistic about it. it's like look it's going to be hard to update your cv because you're embarrassed about it and you should be It's no wonder you're embarrassed about it. And then well, of course you don't want to go be interviewed because you're not very good at it and and there's holes in your story and and you're and you can be made nervous easily and you're not a very good advocate for yourself. So there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done there. And and then you have to withstand the 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 punishment of being constantly rejected when you apply for jobs because the baseline rejection rate you know, for the for the typical job applicant is like 99%. It's like the rejection rate for everything. Is this going to work? No. But if you do it 100 times, it might work once. And that's all you need. That's exactly it. You, you, You only need that once. And so the truth there isn't to yell at your boss. The truth there is to get your life together.
1: Yeah.